Welcome to What CEOs Want to Know, short conversations that can make a lasting difference on your business. My name is Linda Ruland, founder of SuccessAuthorities.com and the producer of this podcast series. In this episode, Success Authority Peter Beaumont explains the challenge and power of brand leadership, its influence on culture, customers, and competitive immunity. One of the things that is worrying, at least from my point of view, having worked extensively in the um, what used to be called FMCG, fast-moving consumer goods, now is called, I believe, just packaged goods, but um, is that there uh, um, does not appear to be the opportunity for building brands like they used to be. So one of the examples I would use is Coca-Cola because I worked with them for 21 years. And one of the things that Coca-Cola, I think, displayed and, showed the world as, as the premier marketing company of any packaged goods um, that you can think of, probably. Um, Apple's probably come along with technology, but I'm talking about packaged goods, consumer goods, it, where uh, consumers purchase either on-premise or off-premise. Uh, one of the things that they demonstrated was a uh, superior brand leadership in everything they did. Uh, and it was because they tied down their brand positioning statement. They understood they were one of the first brands to actually understand what they consume, go out and find out what their consumers really wanted, as opposed to guessing what they wanted or pretending what they wanted because they simply had a product to sell them. They actually went out and found out what consumers were looking for and not just what they were looking for, but the kind of refreshment occasions they were looking for. So did their product actually fit with that or they, did they need to offer variations, which, of course, in a way they did. For over 80 years, I believe it was, Coca-Cola just really sold Coca-Cola. There was no derivations of that. And what they found with consumer um, surveys was that, that people were looking for more variety. As we found in our lives now, um, we, it's all about choice. And Coca-Cola wasn't keeping up with that. And it wasn't just choice around the brand flavors. It was package sizes and occasions. And so one of the secrets to Coca-Cola's uh, continued growth was that they adapted to consumers' needs. So they went to they went from the six ounce bottle, which went for over a hundred and so years, to plastic, to liter bottles, to one and a half liter, to two liter, to fridge packs, um, to cans earlier on, uh, and then uh, that uh, allowed them to grow their market share and occasion of usage, and uh, provided what consumers were looking for. That kind of growth took a lot of investment and unfortunately what we're seeing i believe uh, and one of the things that we talk about at success authorities is that comp competitive immunity is built on being far more long-term strategic in the way you think rather than short-term looking for just the competitive advantage which tends to be price um, or quick service Coca-Cola did it in a longer way. I use that because I think it's just a great example. One of the things that they resisted was short-term stock market gains, which were pressed upon them certainly in the last 30, 40 years. And this is something that is a concern, I believe, for a lot of companies, that you don't get a chance to build a brand anymore because there are so many short-term um, uh, pressures 
to perform against metrics such as the stock market growth. And so you're seeing companies uh, taking their uh, company off the stock market and going private. Uh, there's various um, companies that have been doing that over the last 10 or so years. And I think that'll be a trend if, if those people want to look at the future and build a brand over time rather than doing a quick turnaround. I, I think joint ventures, a lot got, private equity has got a lot to do with it too. Um, there's been that trend to buy and turn around or flip, as they say in reality, quickly. And that has lent itself to not building a brand either because uh, often those companies will buy privately owned successful companies and then want to IPO them within three to four years. That's a very short target to start doing things, to leverage them, and they're not really building the brand over time and they're just dumping those, those, those shares for a quick turnaround on the market. The, the parallel that this competitive immunity, I believe, has is, and I've been thinking about it a lot because I'm in the middle of finishing uh, uh, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game, and he, he doesn't refer to competitive immunity, but there's a lot of parallels in what he talks about. Um, companies playing a finite game in what is really an infinite game. You, you can't win at well, you shouldn't at marriage. You can't really win at business, and people think they can. So we continually get caught up in this discussion around uh, winning something, whereas it, it's uh, they're short-term gains. You can call them that, but they're not necessarily winning. To use an NFL parallel, it would be short-term yardage, but does it actually get you across the end line? And so here we go using a sports analogy again. <laughs> <laughs> so so if that makes sense that's kind of concerning i believe for the future of potential building of brands let's circle back to the idea of leadership and brand we know from recent experience especially that when it comes to employees there's lots of job hopping going on there's certainly a short-term mindset around that how does brand come into play with respect to people and let's say creating some level of immunity with retention. It does, you know, ultimately this does all go back to leadership, of course. And I think, um, uh, what is it they say? that The fish rots from the head downwards, right? So um, uh, it, takes a, it takes a strong CEO or leader of a business to decide um, this is the vision, and let's get everybody involved in that vision and on the same page as to where we want to go and stay the course. Uh, and by the way, that includes having things, uh, recognizing within that company what the core values are, what everybody respects and wants to work towards, because that's really, really important. You know, I, I think there's a lot of lip service paid to core values, whereas people, you know, they're things that I like to pin up on the wall, but they don't, they're not very realistic and nobody's bought into them. <laughs> and, and so um, it is a piece of EOS actually, which I believe is one of the most important parts of EOS, but it's not often done properly. It's kind of a check the box, move on. Uh, core values are in my view, something the leaders should insist upon. And I've worked with clients where they've avoided it because it was too, uh, they've kind of moved the, the session through quickly because it was too touchy-feely for them and they didn't think it was relevant. And in fact, it's at the very core of what a leader should be standing for and, and ensuring that 
the whole team is on the same page because it's difficult to establish a vision for a company if you're not feeling the same things about the business and what it means to you. And the, I think business owners get it because it's, again, I'm using Cynic, but you go back to Simon Cynic's why. He talks about how, why did you start the business in the first place? What was the real thing? What did you do it for? Was it to satisfy customers? Was it something you were really interested in? You thought you could, what was the real reason behind it? And I think you need to dig into that first with the business owner and say, how does that translate into your team, their perception of it? Now, once you've got that, you can start writing a value proposition and a value positioning statement because now you've got at the key of what really matters for the business and how does that reflect in everything you do to bring it to market. And that's how you build a solid brand. You are talking about some of the building blocks within the organization that are reflected through the brand. What you are saying is that to a large degree, branding is internal built within the value proposition and core values of the organization, and then reflected visually through the behaviors and beliefs of people. Yeah, so absolutely. So I'll give you, uh, let me try and give you another analogy. One of the things that, uh, uh, and I use Coca-Cola again, because I had quite a lot of experience there and it, it was a great learning curve for me. I mean, it, <laughs> first five years, it went pretty much straight up. So, um, but the, uh, and by the way, it was interesting when you work for a company like that, that it has its own distinct culture. And so I don't want to wave off what you just said, but, but um, uh, Pepsi had a very different culture from Coca-Cola. And it was built on the way that the leadership had uh, seen the purpose and just the way that the company worked and you assimilate into it. So let me give you, uh, you know, uh, so, some examples of Coca-Cola was much more corporate, much more um, uh, plush carpet in the offices, uh, tie and suit on every occasion, very formalized in the way they went about things uh, in the early days. I mean, that has broken down somewhat like most things have, but, but, but it still gives you an example. Pepsi are much more brash, acted like number two, not number one, because that's exactly what they were and continued to be so. But that it come, when, you, when you're number two, you act very differently, or you should do, because you're chasing number one. So number one's the authority, the monarch. You know, num number two is the court jester who's trying to catch up or maybe uh, feel that they should get into that role at some point. So, so very different cultures. So back to your question on brand. I, the reason I went back to Coke is we used to talk about the intrinsics and the extrinsics of the brand. Intrinsics being when you drink a Coke, there's a bite at the back of the throat, the intrinsics that you get from, there's a refreshment, there's an effervescence when you open, there's that special sound when you open the top of the bottle uh, that's uh, intrinsic to what's going on. extrinsics are the what it provides for you in terms of refreshment and the feeling you get as a result on a hot day of uh, that refreshing drink it's the same with a company you've got to get the intrinsics right first before you can project and therefore deal with the extra the, the uh, extrinsics so the intrinsics are what are our values What's the brand stand for? What's our positioning? What's our target market? The, the, um, so that's the intrinsics. The extrinsics are, 
how does that reflect in itself? How does we position that? How do we market that? It's an extension of that. And then what is the consumer looking for? And so how do we build that into those uh, extensions? So, yeah, that's kind of how I look at that. You brought up culture. Would you say that culture is an intrinsic part of the brand? Yes. Well, yes, yes, I do. Because um, because once you've settled on internally what the brand, it, it, the brand being the company stands for, you it should then be an integral part of the products or what services that you are offering. So that's where the bridge, you, you cross that bridge, right? You go from, this is what we stand for, this is why we're in this business, and how do we translate that into how we bring those to customers? Among all the things that we've talked about, pretending to brand and employees being part of that brand, none of it has to do with salary. If somebody is really engaged with what a company stands for, is that not hard to replicate in another environment? If we were really focused and effective with our brands, wouldn't we be less challenged to retain our people because they would have to forfeit more than a paycheck? Yeah, I think that's there's some um, there's a lot of truth in that. So, and I think what's happened um, over the years is that we've uh, clearly, <laughs> if you believe the data, where seventy five percent you know are looking for the next job, um, and seventy percent are looking you know are, are ready to leave now um, because what. And reading between the lines, it appears that, uh, not even reading between the lines, probably above the lines too, is that COVID has made people rethink their lifestyle. You know, we used to blame it on the millennials, right? Well, they just only just stay in a job for two to three years. It's not true. It's true of everybody. Uh, and I think that's come home to uh, come home to confront us now that we have not taken account of uh, working conditions and pulling people together as a team as much as we should have done. Uh, and as a result, people get dissatisfied very quickly. I believe there are several surveys that have, that have uh, uh, been taken over why people leave their jobs. And normally, well, the, the, I think the number one is the relationship with their manager. <laughs> Surprise. Number four or five is salary. And so, and in between, there's, you know, environment, working conditions, co-workers, right? Stuff like that, uh, commute. Um, but number one is the, the relationship with the manager. The, the, surely to goodness, haven't we had enough of these surveys to realize that's where the secret source lies. If you can establish excellent relationships and build a team based on the same values and then develop a culture because a culture develops over time. It's not something you instantly switch on. But, it, you know, if we're not doing that, we go. And so we've created our own problem, to be honest, by, in my view, poor leadership. And by the way, back to the discussion earlier, why has that been the case? Is it just because we've got poor leaders? In some cases, yes. But I would also suggest it's because their focus has been on short term measures competitive advantage the finite game and not the infinite game and you can't build a culture if you're focused on the short term it just doesn't work within this permanent whitewater environment 
in which we're being constantly buffeted with change and unexpected circumstances that we have no control over, the idea uh, is to be intentional rather than reactive to change. What would you recommend right now to people who are reacting to all the impact that this longer-than-imagined pandemic has caused in our work and society in general? How do we move forward in this? We've got to do something short-term, you know, fix some of the things, um, supply chain being one of them. What, you know, I asked a client yesterday at lunch, what is causing the supply chain issues? We know what it is with cars, but what is it with all these ships that are lining up and what can we do about it? And there was silence because there's nothing we can do. It is outside our control. So what do we get? You know, if that's outside of control, and let's assume it is. In some cases, there are things you can do. But let's assume it is. Then what else are you going to do in the meantime? You're just going to wait and tell customers they have to wait forever? Or are you going to go after business where you have got raw materials and services and those go on the back burner, they're in the pipeline, but you, but you look at some other piece of the business you can field using existing resources? So, so that's the short term. That's the scenario. And then what's going to happen long term when things get back to normal? Like, can you sustain and keep those customers um, is, are you actually going to move your business into two areas or even three that you weren't in before? So, so those are the kind of things that we should be looking at. I, I think the other thing to address big time is relationships because we, um, when you get into short-term myopic um, crisis, you tend to forget the things that really matter over time. And those are relationships, internal and external. Relationships internal to build that culture, to make sure everybody's on the same wavelength, and external to build your vendors, suppliers, uh, and customer base, and stakeholders, right? Board members, etc. And and when we're myopic, we forget about the relationship, and we often make decisions that uh, are counterproductive to building those relationships. And so, I, I would suggest that what we've been through and what we're going to go through. Uh, and by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why the workforce is so ready to look for the next opportunity. They haven't built a relationship with their company, their manager, or indeed their brand. So it's easy to break off. It's like getting divorced after two years. You know, it's there was never really a relationship that had time to take seed. So it's easy to walk away without trying. And so that's that's a breakdown in relationships. You know, the two things that form the basis of any good relationship, of course, is trust and respect. And without those two things, there's no reason to have that relationship. You bring up some vital pieces of evidence as to what has happened up to this point and why and what we can do about this. During this time, if we are smart, are we seeing opportunities that can help propel us forward? Are there some people who will come out ahead because of the current circumstances? The first thing is never make the assumption that we are smart, right? So if we are smart is a good question because <laughs> right now I'm questioning whether sometimes some of the time we are. So, um, but uh, yeah, of course, out of adversity always comes some learnings, always. I mean, you know, we've heard time and time again that to fail is to, to learn and refine and get better, right? Uh, Seth, Godin talks about it a lot. Unless you failed, you've never really learned anything. I think a lot of companies have flourished during COVID uh, a lot. So most of my clients have done really well 
But the reason is they had a they were working on either had or were working on establishing a good leadership team, a set of values and coordinate and going through scenario planning. Um, those that disposed, and I've heard of it from a number of business advisors that disposed of their services because they ramped in, went into panic mode, save all the money they could, um, uh, were the last to try and get an SBA loan, by the way, and, and probably didn't get it. Um, the, they have not fared so well because they went into um, lockdown, literal lockdown, business lockdown. And that uh, those companies have not flourished and have not done well. Um, and, and, and they may get back, but it's unlikely because as somebody once described to me, um, COVID was a great opportunity to get your house in order to really microscope because you weren't moving at the pace you were, to really look at the business under a microscope and look at the things you had to fix. The smart people, not just me, but the smart people hired people like me during that period, seriously, where they're like, I need somebody that can get my house in order, ready for the gold rush when we come out the other side, because there will be. There's pent-up consumer demand. We're seeing it all the time. And so unless you get that foundation corrected and fill out the cracks and take out some of that rotten concrete and replace it, you're not going to be able to build on top. Look forward to future podcasts featuring authorities on topics vital to the success of your business during these changing times. For more information and to contact us directly, visit successauthorities.com.